Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting. I am so pleased today to be interviewing Stacy Brookman. Stacy, how are you doing? I am doing wonderful today. Great. I am so thrilled about this interview. Um, such an interesting story, but I want to jump in at where you're at right now. Your website is Stacy Brookman, your name, pretty easy, stacybrookman.com, mm -hmm. and people can find <laughs> you there. Yes. So tell me what you do with your website and your business. Sure. Well, I am a life story and resilience expert. So I help people write out their life stories and their tough stories in particular in order to recover from them and become a more resilient person. So on my website, there will be courses on there. My, um, my podcast called Real Life Resilience, Stories of Recovery from Life's Most Difficult Trauma. And a new thing I'm just putting on is an Emotional Abuse Recovery and Resilience Summit. So I'm really excited about that as well. Wow, that's actually pretty fantastic. Um, so how did you find this calling to be an entrepreneur with this business, this passion? Oh, <laughs> through hard-won wisdom. <laughs> I always love when, you know, your business becomes your passion because of what you've been through. Yes, and that and, is exactly what this is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So we're going to get into that. So you're in Phoenix now. Where yes. did you grow up? Tell me a little bit about growing up and up to the point where you got married. Sure. I was, I grew up in Kansas, in Salina, Kansas, right in the middle of Kansas. And as when I uh, became an adult, I moved to Kansas City, Kansas, and spent 10 years there. And since then, I've moved around, oh, almost every two, two and a half years or so. Although I spent, I don't know, five years in Houston or so. But I've, I've been in Pennsylvania, New York, um, Texas three times, um, all over. And now I'm in Phoenix. So I love it. I love it too. I'm a little gypsy myself. So <laughs> I, I can appreciate that completely. Yeah. So normal, everything's normal. Tell me, um, how old you were when you got married and a little bit about how you guys met and that, that whole story. Um, this, my sociopath marriage. Yeah. 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 So I, we met at a gym. I had, I was um, going to this gym and a mutual friend introduced us. He was a runner, a marathon runner. I was a biker. I loved to do bikes and did the MS 150 and all kinds of stuff like that. And our mutual friend was a swimmer. So we did a, a team triathlon and uh, then he invited me out after that. I love the team triathlons. Yeah, it they're was, really fun. It was so fun. you start out normal, you meet, and it's all good. Everything's fine. And then, um, so how long was it before you ended up getting married? Um, it was, oh my gosh, it's been a long time since I've thought about that. <laughs> it was probably a year or less than a year. Yeah. Okay. It was, um, but, uh, the, the strange thing about you know, sociopaths, I was married to a sociopath, literally not just a difficult person that he really was a sociopath, is that initially they do love bombing. So within a couple of weeks of us dating, uh, actually within the first week of us dating, he, he, I came home and he was at my house um, working on my deck. And I'm like, oh, what, what, what are you doing here? You know, I was a little taken aback. And he was like, oh, I noticed your deck was, you know, damaged. So I'm going to fix it. I'm fixing it. And I thought, oh, that's, in, that's good. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you know? But within a couple of weeks, he was love bombing. And he had um, quit his job and actually moved in with me. 
And it, I was in a, a position where I'm like, I, 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 I didn't think that was quite right, but I'm like, what do you do? You, I, I didn't feel at the time that I could say, hey, that's not right. Why are you <laughs> moving in with me? But he just moved his stuff in. <laughs> And they tend to do that. They roll right over you. And if you are not aware and if you are not um, on your A game, if you don't start questioning the things that happen, you're going to get sucked in. And that's exactly what happened to me. I got sucked in. I, I was afraid to say, hey, that's not quite right. Or, you know, I was afraid, okay, I'm going to lose this cool guy that I, that I just, you know, met a couple of weeks ago. And so um, being ashamed and embarrassed. And I'm like, I didn't want to rock the boat. I, I, I just let it happen. And that was the first of, of many mistakes that I made. And it's so hard. I mean, there's hindsight, you know, being 2020, mm -hmm. when you get steamrolled like that and you feel like it may be off, but it, it does. I mean, I want people to understand that feels good too. Right. Well, and, and it is called love bombing and they like, oh, they love every movie that you love. They like the type of food that you love. They bring you cards or flowers or, and you just think you've come stumbled across the best thing ever, the best boyfriend ever that, you know, anyone could ever have. And if you find somebody like that, watch out because yeah. it's a pattern that sociopaths and narcissists use to suck you in. And they do fly under the radar. They do things that are just quite, not quite right, not quite <clears throat> what a normal person would do, but you tend to overlook it because all of those hormones and all those um, things going on in, in your mind and your body are telling you, okay, this is good. This is a good thing. Keep on going with it. Don't mess it up. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's nice to have somebody remember your favorite stuff. I'm a normal person and I don't mm -hmm. remember everything all the time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you know, my kids are the first ones to point that out. Like you didn't say happy birthday the first words out of your mouth in the morning. Well, I didn't remember that it was your birthday for an hour. I mean, like, honestly, I'm a human, right? <laughs> right. But these people seem superhuman and I would think you'd feel grateful to yes. have someone that pays that much attention to you. Yes, especially after I had been married before and my first husband cheated on me twice. <clears throat> and so I was feeling and, and rejected me for this other woman. So um, I was feeling, you know, unloved. You know, I was a discarded person and that played into my whole accepting of, hey, somebody does love me. I, I want to cling to this and, um, yeah. and, and disregard the red flags. And there certainly were red flags. <clears throat> yeah. And again, that's a hindsight issue, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, we, I can look, I can say to you now, like if he's moving in in two weeks, did you not did you think that that was okay? But it, yeah. it is partially that it feels so good and partially that you're being steamrolled, correct? Exactly. It's kind yeah. of both. And if that happens, and then you're, you don't want to, I, I don't know. I, I was always um, worried that someone would, I, I would huh, do something to rock the boat. And that was kind of my personality in general. I would wait. And then if some, you know, I, I would never be the first person to speak up. And I had been trained as an adult or as a child to not raise my hand from kindergarten on up. So, you know, you don't be seen, you, you know, you know, your voice doesn't need to be heard. And so that all played into it. Then my first husband who cheated on me, that all played into it. Yeah. And, and so it was a, you know, if, if anybody's out there that, that has been sucked into this, don't blame yourself. <clears throat> just take steps to get out. You know, you, you don't worry about the, the shame or embarrassment that you, you know, you accepted this, you did it. Yeah. I'm embarrassed that I, I, that I allowed this to happen. I mean, it was my own house, <laughs> but um, it's just it, move from here and take the steps to get out. Well, and I think in some situations, don't you feel like you question if you're going crazy or not? Yeah, that actually came later. Okay. Uh, you know, I didn't, you know, he didn't start that sort of thing, crazy making until, um, until I was fully sucked in. 
Yeah. Okay. So it was going really well and he moved in and you had warning flags, but you kind of pushed them off. And you're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've been cheated on and, you know, we all do different things. There's no judgment at all. I was married and was cheated on. Mm -hmm. And I married the guy that was like my best friend who was gay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we all, because (laughs) you don't don't want to feel that way again. I wanted somebody safe. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we all go for, you went for the guy that treated you like gold, even if it was a little weird. I went right. for the guy that was safe. Mm-hmm. Are these healthy relationships? No, no, they are absolutely not. But it's partially a self-preservation and partially, well, yeah, but you know, certain things feel good. And so you go with it. Right. Well, and, and the other thing too is he had something that I did not, <clears throat> and it was no conscience. And little did I know that was a red flag. So in his, when he came over to do, to fix my deck, he said, oh, I said, oh, aren't you supposed to be at work? And he said, oh no, I just quit my job. I said, oh really? Did you give him notice? No, I just walked out. I was, he was, uh, he would put um, stucco on houses. He said, I was tired of that. I didn't want to do that crap anymore. And, And for now I see that's a red flag, red flag. He could not keep a job more than six months ever in his, in our entire 10 year marriage, um, almost. And, and, but for me, I was like, I had such a heavy conscience. A lot of time I would feel guilty about things I shouldn't even have felt guilty about. I'm, you know, that was just, that's just kind of my brain. And to have that freedom to just leave a job, I would never think about just walking out but oh my goodness, here's somebody who's doing that. How cool is that? You know, wow. Somebody who doesn't have that burden of a conscience. Little did I know that lack of conscience defines a sociopath and that would get me in trouble. Like, you know, it would lock me into a crazy, crazy relationship. So you got married when you, about a year in mm-hmm. to that. So were things mm-hmm. pretty rosy up until that point? I mean, I know you're seeing lots of red flags retrospectively, but in the moment, what, were things pretty okay? Yeah, they were okay. They were a little odd because then he said, oh, I have some friends down in Corpus Christi and we were in Kansas City. Um, let's move down there and, and you can quit your job. And I'm like, well, I've, I've worked here for a long time. And so I ended up being able to transfer, but, but away from where my family was, ah. um, uh, where, you know, he wanted, and it sounded cool to go, Hey, let's go live by the beach. <laughs> but then every little thing, like then he would get a job and then he would quit, walk out, um, you know, all these types of things. And, and at some points it was kind of cool that to live this lifestyle, but a, a freeing, you know, sort of lifestyle. But on the other hand, you know, you have to pay bills. You have to, um, you have commitments. And so I ended up being that commitment and paying the bills type of person, which was yeah. entirely um, purposeful on his part. Well, if you don't have a sociopathic personality, I mean, most of us try at least to be responsible and pay our bills and not walk out of jobs. I mean, it's not, that behavior is not normal for most of us. And you're right, like bills need to be paid. So you'd feel tremendously guilty if you weren't working as hard as you could, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And at this point, you're kind of rolling with it. Yes. So when, and, and it's not like, I mean, yeah, there's a plan B, you can leave, but when, when you make a commitment and you marry somebody, you're supposed to kind of stick it out through that stuff, right? Exactly. Which played into my, like I said, I have a very um, heavy conscience type of mind. So I'm like, you know, I, and, and, and shame came into it as well. You know, what would my family think if I left Kansas where my, all my family was moved to Texas, which I did. And then ended up leaving this person. Okay, I've already had one marriage fail. Now I have another marriage fail within a short period of time. What does that say about me? And I didn't want that to happen. So yes, I wanted to make this marriage work. And I I thought, okay, you know, I I can roll with some of these quirks. I thought he had a little quirky personality, um, but it just kept getting worse. 
So when did things start getting worse and what did that look like? And what's the, you were married for about 10 years. So keep us on a mm -hmm. timeline a little bit. So we, we had our first child and, um, and he was getting very, oh, uh, very controlling. So, you know, where we lived, what car we drove, what we did. And I remember when my daughter was just a week old and we went to visit some family that were in, um, in Texas and he wouldn't let anybody hold her because he said, I just don't want anybody to hold her because of germs. Well, and these are family. They wanted to hold, you know, my daughter. And, and, and I thought, okay, that's, it's a little odd. I don't think there's going to be germs from, you know, the family, but I get it. And, um, and, and later on, I, I learned just how hurt they were that we, yeah, we visited, but no, you can't touch the baby. And so it's just a little odd, but it's not, you know, there are germs. So it's not totally outside the realm of, yep. you know, so, you know, it's just, it's these things that are so subtle and hard to describe, mm -hmm. but I went along and I went along with it and I went along with it. And, um, ultimately he would when we moved, he would want the biggest house. He would want the, you know, he wanted to be on South Padre Island where he could be by the water and, and, oh, we make enough together to, to be able to do this. And so we did it. We bought a house and then he would quit his job. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? We can't pay the bills. And, and so I would, you know, try my best to get a promotion and that's why we've moved <laughs> that's why we moved every two years because you know he would get a job and quit but he, but he would say okay we have to have this sort of house when we moved to houston he's like oh we want to be in a horse community i'm like we don't want to be in a horse community <laughs> and um, we ended up being in a horse community and again my voice i did not speak out my concerns if I, I was afraid what I would, you know, that what he would react to if I said, hey, you can't keep a job. That was the truth. But I was afraid to speak that out loud to tell somebody, hey, you can't keep a job. We can't work based on both of our salaries. We can't set our budget based on both of our salaries. We have to base it on mine because you can't keep a job. That was the reality. And I was embarrassed to say that to him. I was afraid to, uh, to, to say that to him. Um, now, he's never, he never hit me. He intimidated me, but he never hit me. And that's emotional abuse. The things that he did, uh, belittling, um, keeping me in uh, financial uh, uncertainty, um, all the types of things that narcissists and sociopaths and emotional abusers do, I was under that control of. And I didn't realize it. I didn't have a name for it. I was just like, I'm just trying to get through life, right? I'm just trying to, um, you know, get through here. And we had our, our second child and um, things just kept getting really difficult. And one time, this was kind of our... Uh, the, a breaking point, one of the breaking points for me, one time I was in the driveway in a car and the kids were in the car and I um, pulled up the emergency brake. It was his car. <clears throat> I went in to get something. And when I came back out, the, the car had rolled back down the driveway. There was a little uh, ditch with a little curve in the driveway and the car almost went off into the ditch. The ditch was like about mm, four feet tall. Um, but it scared the kids, scared me. And he came home and he was furious. He's like, he, he took my phone, he smashed it. He um, started screaming, just screaming and spitting at me and why did you do this and i'm like i didn't do this i thought i pulled up the brake and he's like no it has to be pulled extra hard and and so he smashed my phone he took everything and he said you get that car out and fixed um and i it, 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 and until you know you you cannot do anything until you get that done so i'm like why well, now i no longer have a phone how am i going to do that so i got on my computer 
and um, called one of my coworkers or emailed one of my coworkers on the computer and um, she came and picked me up. We called the tow truck, got it, you know, it had to be, you know, kind of pulled up and over. Um, no damage, but, you know, the kids saw that. I saw that and I could see, okay, this is not, this is not what I signed up for. This is not, this is abuse. And I was scared of him. He was so angry, so angry then that I slept that night with a knife under my pillow. And, and um, it, it was just incredible. So that stress. And so shortly after that, I'm like, okay, this is it. I don't want to do this anymore. And that was along with all the other emotionally abusive things that had happened all along the way that can very controlling, um, you know, telling me what I can do, what I can't do. And so I tried to leave and I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, this is it. I'm, I'm going to leave immediately. He pulled both kids and they were like two and four, I think, or four, you know, three and five. He pulled them in. He said, mommy doesn't love us anymore. Mommy doesn't love me anymore. She's leaving. And they were crying and crying like, no, no, that's not, no, stop, stop doing that. Okay. Okay. I'll stay. And of course there's a lot more to that whole story, but it was, it was really tragic. I'm like, okay, I, I can stay. I can work this out. No, you know, don't do that to the kids and, you know, bringing the kids into it just crushed me. And he knew that that would be, that was a ploy you know, so then things went along uh, for uh, a little while trying to get things together. And, and he would, you know, there was that whole honeymoon phase after each one of these incidents where oh, everything's fine. You know, we're, we're doing great. What do you want for dinner? You know, and then pretty soon there'd be another incident. And um, I remember one time I, it, it had gotten so bad that um, I, I'm like, I, I can't do this. I went to an attorney and the attorney said, uh, just so he doesn't do damage the kids because that's psychologically damaging to the kids. You're not supposed to do that because it is. Why don't you take the kids to another place? And, and at the same time you do that, I will file this uh, divorce decree on him and then we'll let the courts you know we'll let everything go through the courts so I did and um, that was very very tough because he was extremely angry he would call up he was you know just calling me every name under the you know under the sun and it just I was scared I was scared for my life I was scared for my kids life they stayed two weeks with a friend of mine and um, ultimately, he he love bombed me again. I hate I hate it. I hate it that I happened. But I mean, I could have made it permanent back then, but I did not. I returned, and I returned one more time after that as well. And it's embarrassing um, to tell my family, "Okay, we're done. I'm done," and then to say, "Okay, we're back again." Um, but he was like, okay, let's go to counseling. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's it. Maybe let's go to counseling. But he, that it didn't work. It never did work. Well, therapy can only work if both people are truly invested in, and someone who's sociopathic isn't invested. They're manipulating. It's like a puppet master. And the, the other thing, I mean, I'm, I want to point out, not just, not because of you, but it is abuse like that is insidious. It's not a switch. It's not like flipping the lights on in a dark room and it's glaring. It kind of creeps its way in. It's sort of like boiling a frog. You don't put it in the hot water. You put it in the yeah. cold water and you turn it on. Right. And it happens. It's a very slow process. And there are these moments of great times and memories. And you just keep thinking, I, I, if it was just more like that... Right. If we had more of those times, and, you know, I, I kept thinking all along, you know, how bad is bad enough? You know, is it that he yelled at me? Well, is that bad enough to divorce or that he couldn't keep a job? Is that bad 
enough to divorce and 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 taken individually those none of those things were really bad enough to divorce somebody and had a very strong moral and very strong you know like uh, you know you are committed to this person um and so you know i'm not being beaten i'm i don't have bruises um but i had bruises on the inside i i you know my self-esteem plummeted my self-worth plummeted um i i got to a point where he, he confused me so much and i and i allowed myself to be confused but I, I was so confused that I could not make a decision. And that actually has stuck. It's very hard for me to make a decision on a lot of things to this day. And a lot of um, abuse survivors find it hard to make a decision. I wrote an article on Medium called, um, uh, I'll have a side of damaged psyche for dinner, please. Because when you, like what the simple question of what do you want to have for dinner? My answer was never right. And finally, I gave up on anything. Where do you want to go to the movies? What do you want to do? It, my answer was never right. And I gave up making those choices, making those decisions. And if you're in this so long, you just eventually, why fight that fight? Why are you asking me, basically, if you, you never, you know, we're never going to discuss it or have an, I can't, my opinion doesn't matter. So I'm not going to have an opinion. It was and part that, of the emotional abuse. Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of people are out there thinking, yeah, I just gave up having an opinion because it was too much work to try to get your, you know, yours validated. So never mind. I don't, it doesn't matter. He also, um, part of it was he, uh, uh, narcissists and sociopaths do this. They uh, distance you from friends and family. They say, oh, they, they didn't really mean that, or why are they doing that to you? When it's just like normal family stuff, but they cause you to question those relationships. They cause you, when he took me to Texas, he was taking me away from my family, um, and I still communicated with them, but you know, you're distant, and then you can't have friends in the new place because you don't want them to come over for this kind of weird kind of quirky thing that's a little embarrassing so you don't make new friends and you end up being isolated and depending on that person for for social contact and um and that's not a good thing that is never a good thing but one of the things he did was also anything that you love that i loved he would destroy so when we moved i had you know a hope chest i had you know some uh old, you know, scrapbooks from my childhood and, you know, and I had, had taken all of that stuff. One day when I was at work and it was raining outside, he put everything of mine outside while it was raining and it all got ruined. And those are kind of things that are like, you know, near and dear to your heart, right? And did I say anything? Like, why the hell did you do that? <laughs> no, I was like, because he said, oh, I was cleaning the house and I just stuck them out there. Why in the world would you take all of my stuff out? You know, thinking now and, and clearly, why would you take my stuff outside in the rain? You could have supposedly cleaned house before you could, or after, or you could put your stuff out in the rain or put them in a different room. But no, he put them all out there, let the rain ruin them. And so I got to the point where, you know, what kind of furniture do you want? I don't care. What, what do you want for, you know, dishes? Where are your feet? Like everything that was of value to me, he ultimately destroyed. So you didn't want to love anything. I know. I didn't. I didn't. And, and to this day, <laughs> you know, I'm happily married now. So there is hope to someone who is not psychotic. Um, like someone will ask, like he, my new husband will ask, well, what? What do you want to do for dinner? What kind of furniture do you want? Do you like these bookshelves? Sure, I like them. And honestly, I have no opinion. I've been trained to have no opinion. And it, it's a little bit of it has creeped back in. But for the most part, you, you, can't, you can't hurt me anymore. Nobody can hurt me because I don't care what we have for dinner. I don't care what movie we go to. I don't care what furniture we have. I don't care what our dishes look like. I really don't care, honestly. 
and you've become so numb. Yes. Yes. And, and so that's a self-preservation. It's just the afterwards not getting it back. That's hard. Exactly. Exactly. And I guess maybe I am afraid of getting that back or having an opinion because it could still, you know, it could still be taken away. And I don't, I know that in my brain, but in my heart, it's, I, I still don't make decisions well. What was the final straw if you'd left and come back a couple different times? What finally made it so that you broke free and you were absolutely done and you didn't look back? Oh, that's a great question. Well, when my kids were, gosh, nine and seven, they, um, my, my youngest one came in to my room and said, Hey, I want to get on the computer and play a game. I said, okay, there's a password up. It was a desktop back when we people had desktop computers. <laughs> so I went and did, undid the password for her and my husband's email was up and I noticed the email had a confirmation from Craigslist that said M F M M four M F. And, um, I kind of, and I kind of read the first sentence and he was advertising himself as a sex toy for couples on Craigslist. And I'm like, okay, that's it. He's endangering me. I kind of had suspected some things before, but again, ignored it, ignored my gut feeling. Um, and so I, I scooched her off my lap really quick and said, you know, go play somewhere else. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my gosh, his write-up, he was doling out love advice. <laughs> he, had, he knew nothing about love. And at this point, I was to the point where, you know, I'm just going to stay for the kids until they get old and older and then that's it. I'm not taking this anymore. But with this incident, something triggered in my brain. I did not want my kids to have the same relationship. And you know, when kids see this growing up, they're going to get in similar relationships that you, than you are. And it broke my heart to think that my two beautiful young girls would experience the same hurt that I had experienced over the last 10 years. I did not want them to go through that. I did not want them to think this was a normal family. It was not. Yeah. And so I sent that email to my sister. Then I quickly marked it not read and, um, you know, put the lock back on the computer and, uh, you know, finish doing what I was doing. And I immediately went to an attorney the next day. And the attorney said, take that computer and take it to a forensic um, place and they can verify that's where the email came from. And then we'll go to court. It'll be simple because that's, that's pretty, you know, obvious, right? So after I came home, I, I was uh, talking to my mom, telling her what was happening. This is it. You know, my mom, oh my gosh, she's just been a rock for me um, throughout this whole thing, back and forth, back and forth. But anyway, uh, I went to bed. I didn't get the computer yet because I was, you know, I'm like, you know, I didn't know what to do. It was, you know, just about evening. So I played like everything was fine. And the next morning I got up, I was going to put the computer in my car and then drive off to the, to the place. And, um, there were, I went downstairs and the computer was gone and I was shocked. He came in the room, storming in the room, the closest he has ever come to hitting me spit coming out of his mouth. And he said, I know what you're doing. I'm going to take the kids. I'm going to take the house. I'm going to destroy your job. I am going to take you down. And I was literally shaking. I was scared to death. In fact, I'm, I'm just feeling scared just as I'm repeating that and telling, telling you, um, I, I was, I was scared to death. Um, and so now, and now I didn't even have evidence. I did not even have the evidence. I mean, I had sent the email to my sister, but um, anybody could create an email, right? And send it. So that's the evidence was in the computer and that started the 
two-year-long, drug-out, very expensive divorce with a sociopath. I mean, and it started, then I really saw crazy. I thought I had crazy before. I really saw crazy. Um, he would do everything from, um, once we were completely separated, he came into the house and in the middle of winter in Rochester, New York, cut the wires on my heater and then called Child Protective Services saying, hey, she's not providing heat for those kids. And they showed up, knocked on my door. Luckily, that next morning, I'd found somebody who just happened to have some free time, came and fixed it. We took pictures. It was sliced. That's it, not a malfunction. It was sliced. Um, another time, there was a fire downstairs in my heater heating system. Um, I mean, all kinds of stuff. He even married somebody else while he was still married to me before our divorce was final. And I, and he wouldn't sign the paperwork. He wouldn't finalize it. it I had to, <laughs> I had to file bigamy charges and they tracked him down, tried to track him down for a year. And before the, the sheriff's office had finally set him down in, in their office and said, if you don't sign this, because in New York, the, the first person who files has to sign the last paperwork. If you don't sign this, you're going to prison right now because bigamy is a felony. That's the only reason he signed it. I'm like, why do you want to be married to me when you're, you're doing all this stuff? Why, you know, I don't know. Because and it's control. Married. It is it's, control. It's control. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of, tons of other stuff. But it, let me tell you there. Let me give you some hope, though. In the midst of all this craziness, I mean, so many game, so much game playing. Let me tell you another thing too. He um, in New York, the first person who leaves the home is considered abandoning it, and so both of our attorneys advise us stay in the home. So for an entire year, both of us were in the home getting a divorce with the kids there. Crazy. New York is just nuts, and so um, in the meantime, he stole every single thing that he possibly could from that home. He stole all the kids' scrapbooks that I had made. He didn't really parent the kids at all up until this point. But after this, he was like, oh, I was a, a stay-at-home dad. I'm like, no, you weren't. We have tax records that we took the kids to daycare every day. <laughs> I was at work. Um, he, um, oh my gosh, just, just, I could tell you stories upon stories. But anyway, Oh, now I lost my train of thought when I was sitting. What was it like living together for the year for when you guys didn't want to abandon? Oh, it was horrible. He re like, and they use silent treatment to, um, to cause you to just get, go crazy. Um, he would say, I would, I said some things that I did not. I, he would, um, be completely silent. He would tell the girls, go tell your mother that this, and, and I'm like, I'm in the right, I'm in the same room. Why don't you tell me? Oh, I was telling you he was stealing everything. He stole all the scrapbooks, all the tax records, every documentation. He stole, you know, vacuums, anything of value in the house at all. He stole. In fact, um, the judge started seeing some crazy stuff. So he, he said, okay, you guys are going to alternate in and out of the house. You're, you do three days and then you do three days and let the kids stay there. That was even worse because on the days that I was out of the house, he would steal everything. And then when I was in the house, he would put one little picture, a locket size picture of, the, of one of the girls out on the counter every couple of days to let me know. That was psychological. Hey, I have all the pictures. You can have this one little, you know, half inch by half inch picture. I have everything else. And to this day, he still does. Um, I um, ultimately asked all my friends and family, hey, if I've ever sent you pictures of the girls in all of their years, you know, 10, 11, like they were 11 and nine at this point of their lives, can you send me copies or can you send them back? Because I have nothing of their childhood yeah. because he's stolen everything. And um, so ultimately the judge finally decided um, it, it was, it was getting bad. And the judge decided that it was in the kids' best interest for me and them to leave and go to Texas, um, where I did have even eventually have my family there. So um, that was really unusual. And I'm very grateful for it. When that came down, my attorney said, listen, you got to 
get out of here within two weeks because he can file an injunction, then it could drag on even more. So I um, got a transfer on my job, told the kids, grab 10 toys and we are going to be out of here. Um, and we did. He continued to be horrific. They're very poor co-parenters. You cannot operate on the same rules. You, you know, you, I, you know, I'm still a, a good person. So I'm like, okay, we don't, you know, we need to talk, you know, ha have them call, et cetera, et cetera. He was horrible. Um, when they left, he said, oh, your dogs miss you. Your teachers miss you. Your old friends miss you. I'm like, do you realize what you're doing to your kids? The psychological damage. They, they don't, don't care. care. They, do they don't not care. care. Mm -hmm. No, there's nothing outside of they're the nucleus. Yes. He was yes. the nucleus and, mm -hmm. and he, they don't care about yeah. anything else. So in the midst of all that trauma, um, and your brain is on in chaos, just chaos. And now I'm just trying to think, um, he, ultimately he bugged my car and that's how he found out I went to an attorney. Um, but so many other crazy, crazy things. I did go call the police um, a couple of times. But um, in the midst of that, I took a class. I'm like, I, I need to have some sort of a release for me. And I took a memoir class at Writers and Books in Rochester, New York. I, I'm telling you, that saved my life because I would write all these crazy stories that were happening every single week. And I would write it and bring them to my class. And they brought, brought their stories and we all read them. And it was just amazing how calm I could be after putting that down in black and white when your your brain is in trauma when these crazy things are happening um it's in chaos and those traumatic memories are stored in a different part of your brain than regular memories and they come back to haunt you they're very sharp and so what writing does is it makes you find the words for what's happening in your brain you're like okay this is exactly what's happening. And you can write it out in black and white. And that's one of the things my attorney said was write down what happens exactly. Don't put emotion into it. So I did her, her um, list. Here's what happened. You know, he, he pulled out a recorder and was recording. He broke into my car. He did this, he did that. But then on, for my class, I'm like, I can't believe, I mean, he was recording me and, and provoking me to yell. And then he was recording me and doing all kinds of, you know, crazy things. And then I could, I, I could put more of that emotion into it. And that is what helps you put those memories into the regular part of your brain where they can fade just like, you know, regular memories do. And that's the benefit of writing your stories out. That's why I want to help people now because that helped me tremendously. You start saying, oh my gosh, I have accepted this. And yes, it's embarrassing that you've accepted it, but when you recognize what's happening and you can put a name to it, you can, you can move on from it. You can help correct the situation. You can be an advocate for yourself. And so that's why I, I tell people, even if you're not a writer, write down your traumatic stories. Even if they're over with, write down your traumatic stories. And um, there's a lot of scientific evidence and scientific research behind this. It's even called the two-minute miracle. One of the studies from the University of Texas um, dubbed it the two-minute miracle because just two minutes a day of writing down crazy stuff or the, your, um, your emotions and things like that can really benefit you and even boost your immune system. So I That's love crazy. It. I love this stuff. Let's just, I want to wrap up because I want to talk up more about that. I love that mm -hmm. you segued into that. How, how old are the kids now and what's happened since that? How, how much time has passed? It's been ooh, uh, eight years. Okay. So yeah. quite a bit of time has passed. Do the kids have a, much of a relationship with him? Well, they have had to go back three times a year <clears throat> uh, since then and to, for visiting and every time it's, it's gotten better in later years because now they're 19 and 17 and they can speak up for themselves and they're starting to see, uh, they've started to see exactly, they know what he's like now. I mean, yeah. he's without me telling them, they know he's crazy. And not only that, he treated his second wife, 
just like he treated me. He treated, he, now he's married again, treats his third wife, uh, just like he treated me. And, and um, they come back with stories of, you know, his um, angry silence, um, his outbursts about little things like a dropped flashlight, um, controlling behavior. And it just, it breaks my heart for that other, you know, those other women, because I know they were sucked in just like I was. And he repeats this and repeats this and repeats this until we get smart and get out of it. So, um, but they are doing wonderful. They're, one is um, going into college. One's getting ready to be a senior next year. Um, Well-adjusted. Uh, we, you know, have a little bit of, you know, remnants of some, some tough issues, but uh, we have weathered it really, really well. And I'm very proud of them really excited. And that's the thing is I, I know some people can't get away. And so that, um, that emotional abuser is still in the kids' lives. But um, if you know anything about the ACEs study, Adverse Childhood Experiences, any, everybody should look that up. Um, having one stable parent, love from that parent, hugs, and um, that can help ameliorate some of the really tough things from the um, the abusive parents. So um, try to get out as, as well as you can, but and then your, your protection and your love for your kids really helps them to uh, get beyond that abuse. I'm glad you brought that up because if, when there's a parent that's not abusive, and like I said earlier, like we're, we're never perfect, right? You know, right. and kids remember like, every single thing <laughs> that we ever did to remotely screw up. And right. uh, even when you're a really great parent that tries really hard. So it's very reassuring to know, yeah, we know you're not perfect, but if you're in a situation that is abusive, what you're doing goes a long way. Yes. And it really does. I'm going to look that up because yeah. my kids have gone through that. And I think, holy cow, am, am I going to be enough to make a difference to them? You are uh, you know? Dr. Nadine Burke Harris is uh, a real pioneer. And she wrote a recent book called um, The Deepest Well. And that goes through the ACEs study and talks about what you can do to help children in trauma. Even if you're an aunt or if yeah. you're somebody, you know, caregiver, everybody should read that because, you know, when whoever touches a child's life can help them uh, navigate through, even if they're still in those bad circumstances, you can be that rock for them and um, help them not to have the, the, the children who go through this have more health problems. Uh, they die earlier. They have cancer more. They have, um, you know, endocrine problems more, uh, overweight. Um, uh, mental issues as well, but um, taking action in a child's life can help prevent that. So that's what the ACEs study is all about. I love that. I'm so glad you mentioned mm -hmm. that. And um, because, and, and I know it was my third grade teacher. I grew up in a very abusive household, but both parents, I, there wasn't that other person. It was my third grade right. teacher. Yeah. And I love telling that story because you can make such an enormous impact in passing. Absolutely. Because things got much worse in our house after third grade, but I knew I was worth it to her. Mm -hmm. She yeah. made such a difference to me. But then yet you have your own kids and they go through trauma and you still question, oh my God, am I going to be enough? Right. Right. Because you don't want your own children to feel any of the pain that you've gone through yeah, or your exactly. friends or any of that. I love that. So now, so you took the memoir class as kind of like, a, I'm just going to do something to myself. And now it just launched you into helping other people write their stories. And it is not about being a good writer. I want to No, it is definitely not. No, right. <laughs> I'm a published author. You don't even have to be a published author. You can have a no. personal memoir. I, I love what you're doing. So I want to encourage people. Um, writing does make a difference, but sometimes you need a little guidance in the process or accountability in the process, um, a little crutch every once in a while. And you provide that for people to write through, go through their story in written form so they can heal from it. Exactly. I tell people you never, ever have to share it, yeah. um, but it's important for you to write it out. And so I take people through a step-by-step -step process to embrace their story, enable their story, enhance their story, and elevate their story. And um, the first step is 
writing that first chapter of your life story. And I take people, it's really, really easy. So I have a webinar. It's at stacybrookman.com slash webinar. And it's all about writing the first chapter of your life story in just seven days. So I guarantee you, after you take the webinar, within seven days, you'll have that first chapter. And then you'll have the tools to take it beyond that. I'm, I know it's going to get you all excited about um, writing your story. Um, even if you don't ever share it, getting that stuff out. Um, yes, you're going to feel strong emotions while you're writing that. That's important. That's okay for you to do that. And you're going to feel shame at, at how you participated in it or what you allowed to happen. You know, that's okay. But you are moving on from there and you're building a more resilient life and a more joy-filled life. And that's what this is all about. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your crazy stories, Stacey. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there are a lot of crazy stories out there. <laughs> yes. But I'm so thankful. I feel so blessed that you were willing to share your story, but then share all that hope. Right. Yes. There is hope. And, and I, I mentioned before I am married. Um, it was quite, I've, I've been married for two years. It was quite a while before I ever started dating again. And, and I think if people get divorced or they finally get away from their emotional abuser, that they're like, oh, I need to be in a relationship. I want to be in a relationship. And I always tell people, no, be satisfied with yourself. Be happy. Build your life. There's a beautiful poem called um, After a While by Veronica Schofstall. Amazing poem. And that says, you know, plant your own gardens and decorate your own soul and be whole in yourself and, and um, do this writing and um, be happy. I was happy to, you know, live the rest of my life by myself. I was excited to, and then ultimately along came this man who was amazing. And I put him through a lot of psychological hoops before we, <laughs> before we dated for too long. And he is definitely totally amazing and not, a psychotic person. Um, so anyway, there is hope, but don't feel like you have to have a man. You do not need a man. You do not need another partner um, at all to be happy with yourself. I always tell um, my partner who's pretty amazing, and we've been through our own rough stuff too, which is why I know he's so amazing because we've been <laughs> through our rough stuff. Uh -huh. But he's, you know, he gives me a hard time. You don't need me at all. You don't need anybody. No, I don't, but I've right. chosen you. And isn't that exactly. so much better? Yes, that is way better. Way better. Exactly. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Jen. This was wonderful. I'm so glad that you do what you do and bring all this great stuff out for people to see and hear. Thank you. People need to know they're worth it and that there's hope and that they're not alone. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.